Good morning and welcome. Let's, uh, let's turn our Bibles to Revelation. We're in Revelation 21. I have some old friends here this morning that I haven't seen in about 20 or 25 years, Pat and Judy O'Hara. You guys stand up and uh, just, oh, welcome them. They, they totally surprised me because I just saw them a moment ago. I'm not even sure where they're living and whatever, but uh, they, I remember they were doing some mission work in 89, and I still have a piece of the wall that you guys brought me, uh, the, uh, the Berlin Wall. I have that in my office, and I, I've, one of my, I always collect little stones and stuff like that, so I, I appreciate that. Thank you, guys, and great to see you. Uh, let's turn our Bibles to Revelation 21. Uh, we're looking at verses 9 through 27 uh, this morning. And I'll read, you can follow. We have here a description of the new Jerusalem, the celestial city, our future home. No rent. <laughs> No RG&E. <laughs> angels at the gates. And one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying, come and I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, and having the glory of God, her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Also, she had a great and high wall with 12 gates and 12 angels at the gates and the names written on them, uh, which, were, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. And three gates on the east, three on the north, uh, three on the south and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs, its length, its breadth, its height are equal. And then he measured its wall, 144 uh, cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is of an angel. Uh, the construction of its wall was of jasper. The city was of pure gold, like clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones, the first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth uh, emerald, uh, the fifth sardonyx, uh, the sixth was uh, sardius, and the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, uh, the tenth chrysophras, and the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each uh, individual gate was of one pearl. The street of the city was of pure gold like transparent glass. And I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. 
The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it, and the Lamb was its light. And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth uh, bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day, and there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And with that, let's pray. Lord, we praise you. And we thank you, Lord. For the child of God, it seems to be, Lord, you always have a wonderful and a blessed future. And Lord, so often we are so earthbound. Lord, uh, we don't think as much of heaven as we, we need to, we ought to. And Lord, Paul writes for us that I have not seen nor ear heard the things that have entered into the heart uh, for those, Lord, uh, who love the Lord, the things that you've got prepared for us. And so I pray, Father, as we are in this section, the remainder of this chapter into the next, that, Lord, you would give us, I pray, a new and fresh perspective of heaven. Lord, uh, as we looked at a few verses uh, last week, uh, Lord, there were just some illuminating things there. And I pray that, Father, uh, you would just give us a, a greater love and appreciation for the glorious things that you have in store for us and for everyone who puts their faith and trust in the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, Lord, I thank you for all those that are here today. And, Lord, we commit this time to you. We pray that, Lord, you know the hearts of all men. And, Lord, we pray that you'd be speaking into our specific condition today, as only you can, Lord. We, we thank you that you're so faithful. Uh, you're awesome and great, how we love you. And, Lord, we thank you that you would even desire Lord, to speak to us, that you would desire, Lord, to have eternal relationship with us. Lord, to us, oftentimes, it's a mystery. But, Lord, uh, we're reminded in that, Lord, of your great and your awesome love. So, Lord, may we, may we sense that afresh today. Lord, be glorified, we ask, in all that is done today. Lord, uh, may it just bring you honor, pleasure, and glory. For, Father, we pray and ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, thus far, uh, in chapter 21, we have looked at the new heaven and the new earth. And I think as we've talked about the new earth, we sort of had somewhat of an epiphanal kind of a moment, because oftentimes we think of heaven as like we're going to be just sort of, uh, you know, uh, hanging around on some kind of cloud, plucking a harp. And, and a lot of times our definitions of heaven sound pretty doggone boring, don't they? Uh, and we have to remember God's got an awesome plan. Uh, if we can enjoy, you know, this earth, uh, imagine the new earth. Uh, it's going to be absolutely incredible, but it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be awesome. Now, we talked about a few particular painful things, but they're not going to be there. They're not going to be in that dimension, uh, in that future time period. Uh, we talked about last week what possible age we might be uh, in eternity. Um, I think that was maybe uh, kind of uh, illuminating for a lot of people. Because I think when it comes to eternity, there's an awful lot of questions, aren't there? And, uh, and I think that what we're talking about, a, a potential possible age, that we will be there, it seemed pretty plausible to me, and, and we gave some scriptural evidence for that. And then we talked about animals in eternity. We talked about pets. And uh, um, 
I'm not, we're not going to get into that uh, again. Uh, but it was a good conversation, I thought, uh, that we had about that. Um, and again, I think that horses are a hint. Uh, yes, we do believe there's going to be animals um, in, uh, in, in heaven. Um, and uh, we, we talked about even, wouldn't it, be a gr wouldn't it be God's incredible grace if he resurrected our old famous, our favorite pet? Not, not all of our pets, but our favorite pet. Um, there, there's some I, I, you know, I don't have good memories of. And, uh, <clears throat> but uh, as a matter of fact, talking about that last week, um, we've been thinking about getting a dog. <laughs> we, we just love punishing ourselves. And, uh, and so the more I think about it, the less inclined I am to wait to eternity to see what God has in store there. But remember, uh, one of the things that he reminds us there is, behold, I make all things new. And that begins now, doesn't it? I, I was talking to somebody uh, this week, or maybe writing something, uh, and just talking about the new beginnings that we have in Christ. Uh, there's, always a, there's always something new uh, and wonderful, and I think God wants us to have, I think that's a part of faith, isn't it? That we have a sense of expectation, you know, about what God's going to do. I think when we lose that sense of expectation, because I think hope plays into that, but also faith plays into that too. Uh, and, and we need to have that, a sense of not only just, you know, yes, you know, for eternity, hallelujah, praise God for that, but this life as well. And I think sometimes we just sense, we lose a sense of our hope uh, and our direction. You know, we get sort of bogged down and beat up by life, but we need to have a sense of expectation because he's the God. He's always doing something new. He's always doing something fresh and something wonderful. And we need to have that kind of hope and expectation. Uh, I think, you know, when we come to church, I think we need to have an expectation. God's going to speak to me. You know, there's something that he has, you know, for each and every one of us. Sometimes out of maybe a sermon or maybe one thing, maybe one thing that he just sort of speaks into our condition and into our situation. But I think it's important that we have that. And we saw that. Uh, that was one of the phrases. But again, uh, that's something that we see all the way in the, New the Old Testament. We see it through the New Testament. God making all things new. And so we need to, we need to believe that uh, because he is our wonderful and awesome God. Now, John here uh, is going to become our tour guide. He's going to take us through this glorious, eternal city. Uh, this is a part of it as we look at this particular chapter here. And this is going to be our home for eternity. You know, C.S. Lewis said something interesting. He said, nothing in this world satisfies me. It's because I am made for another world. And how true that is. You know, we make the best of this life. But uh, at the end of the day, we're never going to be totally, you know, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Like you build a new house, you buy a new car, you get new things, and how quickly it wears off. You know, oftentimes it wears off before the smell wears off of the car, you know, that, that brand new, you know, upholstery smell and so forth. Uh, and that's the way it is in this life. There's nothing really in this life that's going to ultimately totally satisfy you and me because that comes in our relationship with him. And that's why the Lord's always calling us to what? Seek him. Uh, he says, you know, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. They will be filled. Uh, God wants to fill you. He wants to fill me with himself. The world wants to fill us. You know what? Somebody once said, nature abhors a vacuum. And how true that is. Uh, and the world, it's always working, uh, longing to fulfill us, fill our minds, our hearts with something else. But God wants to fill us. He wants to fill us with himself. 
And as we seek after him, he promises that he will wonderfully uh, do that. Now, in verse 9, we've met this angel before. We met him a thousand years ago. Uh, we met him at the end of the tribulation period uh, prior to the millennial uh, reign. And this was one of the angels who was part of pouring out that judgment upon the earth at that particular time. Um, and he says, come on, I'll show you here the lamb's uh, wife. Now, one of the things that we realize that there's no doubt about it, this is a literal city, just like there's going to be a literal new earth. It's going to be something we touch. And one of the words that we, we when we looked at it last week, uh, that, that speaks of the word earth is the word J, it's G-E. It's where we get our word geology, and it's taken from the word soil. So we realize this new earth is going to have soil. And it really begs the question, it's going to be botany and biology and all that that goes along with it. And we need, to re we need to realize that. And so also this city is going to be a literal city. And I think it's interesting, too, that this city, you know, with its walls, with its gates, is referred to as the bride, the lamb's wife. I think that's kind of a mysterious way to put it. And, and three times this city is referred to in the feminine gender. Um, I think it's verse, yeah, it's verse, uh, uh, verses 11, and I think it's verses 12. But looking at verse 10 here, John says he's, he, he's, he, he's carried away uh, in the spirit by this angel to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem. Um, we, we, we saw before it was referred to as the new Jerusalem. And so John here is conveyed to this high vantage point, this mountain. We don't know if it's on Patmos. Uh, this could actually be on the New Earth, uh, which, you know, is interesting. That could be an interesting little insight. Because, if, again, if we're going to have a new, new Earth, don't you think we're going to have new mountains too? I mean, I love mountains. They're just something kind of, you know, interesting about mountains and that sort of thing. And uh, we, we know on the old Earth, every mountain will be made low. Remember that in, in, in the judgment uh, you know, back there earlier in, in Revelation, uh, when we saw the judgment on the old earth, you know, mount, mountains were laid low, valleys were made high, and that sort of thing. Um, but, and, and one, of, one of the things also, too, we looked at last week, there's not going to be any oceans. We talked about that in length. Um, and, you know, the reasons why there's not going to be an ocean. Um, and uh, the possibility of some other very interesting things. I would encourage you uh, to get the tape uh, or not the tape, <laughs> they get the CD for that. Um, but in verse 11, he says, as he sees the new Jerusalem, he says, it's having the glory of God, and her light was a, like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, uh, which is believed it was a diamond. Uh, this jasper stone, this ancient thing, it was called a jasper stone, very clear as crystal, it was believed to be a diamond. Um, and so here, this term glory is kind of interesting because it carries with it, it means something, it's the word kabod, if you look at the Hebrew word. It's something weighty, something full of substance, something that's very rich in virtue and thoroughly radiant. And, and you know, the thing about the glory of God that we're going to see in the future and that we're going to be a part of that, that it starts right now for the child of God. There, there's a certain glory that comes into your life when the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, comes into your life. That, that's why, in a sense, everything, you know, what's it, uh, First or Second Corinthians 5.17, if anyone be in Christ or a new creation, behold, all things um, are passed away, behold, all things are, are new, um, and all things become wonderful, gl wonderfully glorious, uh, and there's a glory that, that comes into our lives, uh, you know, when the glory of God and when Christ comes into us, 
Uh, over in chapters uh, 3 and 4 of 2 Corinthians, Paul uh, speaks about that. And I think it's interesting what he says there. Uh, and in verses 8 through 11 in chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians, uh, he's basically comparing the old covenant with the new covenant. Uh, and, and the comparison that he's making that, yes, the Old Covenant had a certain amount of glory to it. Uh, we see that as you read the Old Testament. There was the glory of God, the Shekinah of God that came down you know, upon the temple, uh, upon the tabernacle, and when God's people were in the wilderness. Um, but it was a limited kind of glory. And, and he says in verse 8, he says, How will the ministry of the Spirit uh, not be um, you know, much more glorious? And, and speaking about the New Testament and the ministry of Jesus Christ, it would be so much more glorious when you would compare it to that. Uh, he says, for if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. So interesting how he refers to the Old Testament and that legal system uh, as a ministry of condemnation because that's really an, that was one of the things that the law did, uh, basically condemn sin. Remember, I think it's Romans 3.20 uh, that we're told there that basically uh, the, the, the knowledge of sin comes through the law. Uh, it was never designed to make a person righteous. That was the mistake of many of God's Old Testament people. They thought they could keep it. They thought they could be righteous by adherence to the law. Uh, and again, uh, you know, the, the fact is that even in the Old Testament, the only righteousness that came, and we see it in the life of Abraham, it came by faith. It always came by faith. And again, the law comes along later after faith to be what? Just simply a schoolmaster, what? To point us to Christ because the more that you try to do it, the more you try to keep up to some external moral law, you realize, I can't do it. I mean, there are certain things that maybe we think we can do or you know, maybe certain limited things we can do. But, but eventually, when you're just trying to live up to some kind of moral code, I mean, try the Ten Commandments if you haven't already, okay? And, of course, Jesus, when you get into the Gospels, really explains the motive, you know, the motive behind, you know, the Ten Commandments. You know, the Bible's, you know, the, the one of the Ten Commandments that speaks about, you know, not being an adulterous person. Uh, and Jesus says, well, if someone just, you know, looks on a woman in the wrong kind of way, they commit adultery in their heart. And, and so you, you finally come to a place somewhere in your, in your attempt to adhere to this moral code and be a good person. You realize, I can't keep it. And that was the design of it. The design of us was to, to point us to the mercy of God, to look to him, you know, to trust him. Um, and that's why I think a lot of people outside of Christ they look at the Ten Commandments and say, yeah, good stuff. Yeah, it's great. But they don't even try because I think there's a certain frustration point there where they know they cannot uh, accomplish and fulfill the demands of that. Uh, so he refers to it uh, as a ministry of condemnation, uh, but the ministry of Christ is a ministry of righteousness because it's a faith. It's a righteousness that comes to us by our faith in Christ. Verse 10, for even what was made glorious had no glory. Uh, in this respect, because of the glory that excels. Again, speaking of Christ, speaking of the New Testament. Uh, verse 11, for, what if, uh, for, what if, uh, for if what was passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. So again, Paul putting the law in its proper perspective, um, that it was basically you know, uh, fading away. You know, remember Moses when he came down and he had the tablets, uh, that he had a glory on his face. That's a reflective glory 
that he received from God. But it was what? It was a fading kind of a glory. Uh, but the glory that we have is kind of interesting. It's a very interesting kind of thing because look at verse 18. He says, but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So again, as Christ comes into the life, that there's a transformation and he takes us from one degree of glory to another degree. Uh, is the Lord doing that? In your life? Are we allowing the Lord to do that in our life? Is our walk with the Lord becoming a more glorious kind of thing? Uh, are we really walking with Him and receiving, you know, all that He has for us? There's a transformation that needs to be an ongoing, I think, work of transformation and changing us, um, you know, as we, as, we, as we move on in our experience with Him. But in chapter 4, verse 6, look what he says. He says, it is for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness has shone into our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Um, another, an alternate for in the face of would be in the person, in the person of Jesus Christ. So he has shown into our hearts. Isn't it interesting when you come to Christ? It's, it's exactly what happens. The Spirit of God just shines. He comes into your life. And, and he reveals to you who Jesus is. I was talking about it Wednesday night. Because most of the time people think, well, the devil's just kind of a, a caricature of evil. He's not real kind of a thing. Uh, that m many of us used to think that. And the underbeliever thinks that. But isn't it amazing when the Spirit of God comes in your life, all of a sudden you identify him. Yes, he's real. <laughs> uh, and, and we realize that God is real. And we realize that you know, the, 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 the word of God is, is, is powerful and effective and how real the word of God and the truth of God is. And so this glory, this glory has wonderfully taken place. We, we've begun. We've begun. We've entered into this glory. And again, to a degree, as long as we're on this earth. But uh, when we get uh, to this place in eternity, uh, how glorious and wonderful it is going to be. Right now, we've tasted it. Uh, if we've come to Christ, um, you've partaken of it if you've come to Christ. But there's going to be, there's going to be a, a, a glorious in, in every moment of eternity. Um, I, I know that um, every morning we wake up, um, we don't bounce out of the bed. Um, I was looking, I was talking to uh, um, Stan Saller's grandson, Henry, this morning. And he was just kind of bouncing across the floor. And uh, it was so cute, you know, just kids do that kind of thing. And um, it's not the way we get out of bed in the morning, is it? You know, oh, the glory of God, hallelujah, you know, type of thing. But we have our moments, don't we? We have our moments where, you know, the, the, the Holy Spirit of God is sort of met with us. And we need to have those glorious moments, you know, taking place, you know, in our life. There needs to be change. Uh, and maybe if, uh, and I think sometimes, I, I think sometimes as God's people, there is a danger of settling for mediocrity. And I think we've all done it. I think we've all done it at different times. But we need to have those moments in our experience with him, where, where we're meeting with him. It was really a heart-to-heart, -heart, a, a really a face-to-face. -face. Uh, that's why, in a sense, in a week from now, we're, we're going on a retreat. We're going to the mountain down there in, in Pennsylvania. And, uh, and, and every year, the Lord meets with us. 
Um, and, and we want that. We, we need that. We, we go down there with that intention, with that purpose. Because so t- sometimes life is just so busy. We're just so caught up, you know, in doing things. And, we, and it isn't sometimes that we just sort of tear ourselves away from our schedule. And we get down there and, you know, we, or we don't even have to go down there. But it's just getting away and meeting with, those, with the Lord. We need to have those kinds of experience and, and moments you know, in our life. Now in verse 12, these walls uh, and gates are, are, in a sense, they're symbolic and memorial. They're real, but they're symbolic and they're very memorial, uh, memorial for a purpose. And we're told here uh, the reason for that in verse 12, that there'll be a high wall, great and high wall, 12 gates, uh, angels at the gates, but there's names written on them, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Uh, and, and again, one of the things that these walls remind us of, it reminds us of our eternal separation, you know, from the things, you know, that the, the old things, the sin, the things that once were a part of our lives. Uh, it speaks of protection and our intimacy in Christ. But these gates are kind of interesting. I think they forever memorialize the nation of Israel. And because of the contribution, you know, of God's people, uh, you know, Paul reminds us of that. Remember, basically, the Bible tells us salvation comes through the Jews. It comes through Israel. Um, we're the branch. You know, they're the root. Uh, Paul tells us, I think it's in Romans chapter 15, he says we even, we're debtors to the Jews in a spiritual sense. We're, we're, we're debtors to them because, the, 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 you know, the gospel, the Savior, it has come through that group of people. And they may be perhaps the most persecuted people in all of history. And that's why the Bible tells us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And, uh, and sometimes I've heard Christians uh, who know Jewish people or work with Jewish people go up to them and, tell, and just basically tell them, I want to thank you. I, I want to thank you for the, for, you know, just for the, for the Jewish people, for the nation of Israel, uh, and, and for what God has done in my life through them. And they kind of look at you like, what are you talking about, man? Are you, are you out of your tree? And, and, you know, it could even open up an opportunity, you know, to, uh, to share the Lord with them in a, in a, perhaps in a deeper way. Uh, Paul speaks about it over in Romans 9 when he says this. He says, uh, For I wish that myself were a curse from Christ, for my brethren, speaking of the Jews, my countrymen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, the promises in the word of God, and of whom are the fathers, that's the patriarchs, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, our Savior came, who is over all, eternally blessed God forever. And so I think it's important. I think the church at sometimes has forgotten that. They have forgotten about our connection, uh, you know, to the, the, the nation of Israel, to the Jewish people. Um, we are certainly blessed and thankful and I think that's why simply their names here on those on you know on the, the let's see on the gates that is uh, is a memorial kind of thing just simply honoring them and then when you move down to verse 21 we see that there's 12 gates and 12 pearls and each individual gate was a pearl man they must have big oysters in heaven huh not really I mean the Lord can make one uh, uh, make a pearl but he could make an oyster that big too couldn't he if, if he really wanted to. 
And it's kind of interesting, too, because one of the things, you know, a lot of people talk, you know, we, we oftentimes heard that St. Peter's waiting at the pearly gates with a clipboard. <laughs> no, he's not. Uh, it's, that's already a done deal. Uh, when, when this event takes place, you know, uh, someone's future, whether it's, you know, not in this place or in this place, it's only, it's a settled deal. As a matter of fact, you need to remember, it's a settled deal before you lose a, leave this life. That's why it's important. The most important decision in anyone's life is committing yourself to Christ. And I think, again, one of the things that we've been talking about, you know, uh, about that as we move through this book of Revelation, the importance of having your name written in that book. That's the most important place where your name and my name needs to be. We need to make our peace with him before we leave this life. You know, give you, commit yourself to Christ. You know, he, in a sense, his cross has punched your ticket. There's a lot of people that their ticket is punched, but they never take it. Isn't that sad when you think about it? They, they well, I'm not ready or... You know, I don't need God. I think I could be good enough. It's like one of my old Vietnam buddies, I spoke to him about a month ago on the phone, and he was telling me how good he was. And um, the Bible says, there is none good, no, not one. And nobody can measure up. See, we're all on the same footing, aren't we? We're, we're, we're all sinners saved by grace. And I think sometimes, you know, I think sometimes when we're witnessing to people, uh, I, I think that maybe they get the wrong idea that we think we're better than them. And, and I think we need to clarify that. I think we need to clarify that, that we're all sinners, that we're all sinners, and, and uh, he's a wonderful Savior, uh, and, and we need to have him, you know, in our lives. Uh, he will wonderfully save us if we come to him and in sincerity and just put our simple trust and our faith and our belief uh, in him. The thing about pearls is kind of interesting. You know they're formed by irritation. And, and it's not, we always heard of the proverbial um, uh, grain of sand going into the oyster, but it's usually, it's usually not that. Uh, it's actually a little, it's a little bacteria um, that gets into the oyster, and, and then there's a, a gland that's in the oyster that, uh, uh, that just basically secretes this, uh, um, you know, this serum or whatever the case may be, and it kind of, and basically it, go, it wraps itself around whatever the infection, whatever the intrusion is inside the oyster, uh, and it keeps us sort of producing this serum um, and it's called a nacre, and it just keeps wrapping itself around there until it forms a pearl of a certain kind of a, uh, you know, to, to some kind of degree. Uh, and it's kind of interesting because um, I, I think there are irritations also in our own lives that God may allow, that God may permit, um, that it's designed to produce something beautiful. Uh, I, I've seen this oftentimes uh, with pain. How sometimes pain or suffering or some kind of crisis or even a tragedy is one of those things that, that the irritation of it, the pain of it, brings us to Christ. And, and it's Romans 8.28 so often in our lives that, that God brings good out of something that seems to be evil or, or something that... that we struggle with or wrestle with and something that we wouldn't choose, we wouldn't want in our lives. But God allows it. He allows it for a purpose. He permits it for a purpose. And out of that irritation, out of that pain, out of that situation comes something glorious, something wonderful, something pearl-like. 
you know, Jesus gave um, a little parable, just a, a very short two-verse parable uh, about our relationship with him. And he said this, he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls. Uh, and the, the metaphor, the analogy there is Jesus is the merchant. And he's looking for pearls. Who, when he had found one pearl of a great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. You see, we're the pearl, the church. And, and when you think about uh, uh, you know, the, the, the merchant you know, selling everything just to obtain that pearl, and you think about Christ you know, leaving, you know, leaving his throne in heaven. He never, left his, he, he never left his glory. His glory was always hidden within. He never left his deity. But he left that, that place of his throne to come and, and basically to save us, to, to redeem us. Now, when it says in verse 25, we want to just sort of jump up to that. Well, I forgot to tell you that other verse was verse 21. I jumped right ahead. I'm sorry about that. It says, the gate shall not be shut at all by day, and there shall be no night there. So there's no, there's no need to. There's uh, no security issues. Like I said, these are memorial gates, memorial walls. Now, John describes the walls here uh, as we move into verse 14. Uh, that of a diamond, bright, radiant, clear, adorned with, with 12 beautiful stones that we see in verses 18 through 20. And he says, now the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city, its gates, and its wall. To me, this enforces the reality uh, that God never forgets our service. You know, everything that, that is done in the name of Christ, he will, he will bless that. He will honor that. Uh, what's it? Uh, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. You know, God is not unrighteous uh, to forget our work and our labor of love that we have shown toward his name and continue to minister. He'll never forget that. Now, sometimes you can work for a boss or for a company for 20, 30 years and at the end of that time, they're ready to just sort of, they're ready to march you out the door. And you don't even get a gold watch. And, and you do sometimes many good things. And you should do. We should. We, we, you know, that's part of our witness. But a lot of time, times we do things, you know, in the world, and in the workplace, and they're simply, they're forgotten the next day. You ever work for anybody like that? It doesn't matter what you did before. It's like, you know, why aren't you doing this, you know, kind of a thing. But God never forgets. He never forgets those things that we've, that we've done in obedience to him, to honor him, to please him. Now, the city itself will be transparent gold, we're told in verse 16. It was laid out like a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. He measured the city uh, with a reed, 12,000 furlongs in its length, breadth, and height, uh, are equal. Now, what he's describing here is a perfect cube, 1,500 miles in each dimension, 1,500 miles long, high, and wide. It's the surface area of that would be from Canada to Mexico and from the Mississippi to California. So that's basically about two-thirds of the United States. And yet, this is only the city. This is the New Jerusalem. The whole, you know, the rest of the, you know, when you think about the expanse of the new earth, 
and the new heavens. And if, we, if they have determined through Hubble that we have millions of galaxies now, do you think we're going to have anything less than eternity? I, I don't think so. I, I think we're going to be able to have a whole lot of fun in exploration in eternity. And I don't know if it's a guy thing. Do you ladies have this too? But it's a guy thing. It's like we like to explore. Like you get into a new house, you want to explore every nook and cranny. You know, there, there's a woods near you. You want to look, you, you, know, you, just, you, want to, you know, you want to just explore it. You know, I see a mountain. I just, I don't know about mountains. I just like climbing them. I like climbing them so I get up there and see what's up there. And I think God just sort of put that and placed it in our heart. And, and I think eternity, again, be careful that you don't fall prey to thinking eternity is going to be boring. It's going to be exciting, exhilarating. And we're never going to run out of things to do. We're all getting ready to be shut in the house for the next six months, aren't we? Consigned to those four walls. That won't be true in eternity. It's going to be glorious. And you're going to have a new body. You're going to be better than Superman. I mean, there's something about the imagination. You know, we, we, we've created all these superheroes. It's, I don't think Marvel will ever run out of superheroes. I mean, I never used to read Marvel comic books, but I don't think they're ever going to run out of a superhero because they're coming up with these heroes that I've never heard before. But if you put them all together into one person, you're better than that in eternity. And you won't have to be any superhero to beat anybody up. There'll be nobody to beat up, okay? <laughs> Praise God. Uh, where is it? R Randy Alcorn um, uh, an author I respect. Uh, I have one of his books at home. Uh, he's also written a book on heaven. And uh, he says this. He says, we don't need to worry that heaven will be crowded. The ground level of the city will be nearly 2 million square miles. That's the ground level. It is 40 times bigger than England. 15,000 times bigger than London, 10 times bigger, as big as France or Germany, and far larger than India. But remember, that's just ground level. The fact that the heavenly city will be 1,500 miles high, if this eternal city contains levels of story or stories, the New Jerusalem could be over 600,000 stories. That means billions of people could occupy the city with many square miles per person. Kind of insightful, isn't it? It's kind of interesting to think of it. Because sometimes I've thought of it before, and I thought, yes, it's kind of a cube, and it you know, sounds a little boring, you know, kind of thing. It, folks, it will not be boring. Uh, you, you will perhaps have a nice, beautiful high-rise apartment. You know, these apartments that... You ever hear some of these high-rise apartments in New York City, what they cost? 
I mean, just it's, it's like out of the world. You know, how much it, it costs for some high-rise penthouse apartment. And imagine having your living space, you know, several square miles. And that's just your living space. Um, there's the whole earth and universe that you can explore and enjoy. Uh, he says something interesting in, in uh, verse 17 that uh, this wall around the city is 216 feet high. It's sort of like a small retaining hall, a wall rather, isn't it? <laughs> 216 feet. But if the city's 1,500 mile, miles high, what's 216 feet? It's just a little retaining wall. And um, again, you'll be like Superman. You can leap over it in one bound if you want to. And I think John, looking at verse 22, I think John is surprised when he finds no temple because uh, the temple has always been the nerve center of the Jewish people. That's always been the heartthrob. Even in the millennium, remember, uh, according to Ezekiel, there's going to be a temple. And, and we, we talked about that. Uh, in every age, a temple has represented what? Worship. So what, is it, what, I th what do you think the Lord's saying here? I think he's simply saying that this city is going to be worship central. Let me ask you, are you a worshiper? If you're not, there's a little girl that sings a Christian song. And uh, she talks about getting her worship on. You need to get your worship on. I don't know who, the, I don't know who that author is. But she talks about getting her worship on. Never heard it put like that. You need to get your worship on. You, you need to get in the groove before you get there. Because I, I think there, I, sometimes I see saints, they don't worship. And, and the Lord says that he wants us to be worshipers. John chapter 4, right? This is worship central. I saw no temple in it for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb or its temple. Now, as we come to verse 23, let's keep in mind here we're speaking specifically about the city, not the entire new earth or the new heavens. And the city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. Now, should we assume from this that there will be no sun or moon at all, because I think, there, I think oftentimes that assumption is made. I think that's a wrong assumption. There's no light, and every time there's a reference to that, it's for the city. It's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. Of course there's going to be moons and suns. John's speaking here specifically about the city. Because every time he, 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 he speaks of it, he uses, he uses the, you know, the, the, the phrase there, there, the city. To assume that there's going to be, that city won't need light. And there's also too, so a speculation that that city may be off the planet Earth, above the planet Earth. That's a possibility. We don't know for sure. That's not exactly delineated for us. 
The city has no need for the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. Now, what does the scripture say about that? Psalm 148, I'll read it to you if you can turn there if you like or just write, write down the reference. Psalm 148, verses 3 through 6, uh, these last five psalms are really laden with praise. And in verse 3 of Psalm 148, it says, Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you stars of light. Praise him, you heavens of the heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. He also established them, excuse me, forever and ever. Now, maybe I have a problem, but I tend to take the Bible literally. He established them forever and ever. He sort of underscores it. He made a decree which shall not pass away. Well, how long is forever and ever? That's why I do think there's going to be a sun, there's going to be moons in the new heavens and the new earth. It's going to be a new universe. Universes. It's all limited now. It's going to be wonderfully full-blown. Verse 24, And the nations of those who are saved shall walk in it, Excuse me, shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth shall bring their glory into it. You see, our walk that we begin right now, folks, it's an eternal walk. It begins here. It begins now. It's something that, um, you know, as we come to Christ, it's, it's part of, it's an expression of our, you know, our, our navigating through this life, our, our, our walk with him, our fellowship with him. And, and let me ask you this morning. Are you truly walking with him? I don't mean do you come to church on Sunday. I don't mean do you have a Bible. But, but do you have an ongoing, living, vital relationship with Jesus where you're walking with him? And I want to show you, the Bible tells us what a walk is. Uh, turn to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. And the theme of this little epistle is, is really that very thing, fellowship. It, it's, it's an intimacy with God. And look at verse 6. There, there's a lot of uh, um, false professions that he deals with, false statements. Verse 6, if, they, if we say that we have fellowship with him but walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Now, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Look at verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, there's three things, I've, I've, three principles here that I think are very critical and very important. And the first one is this. We need to be honest about our moral condition. If there's something that's not right in our life, we have to be honest about it. We need to be willing about it, willing to bring it to the Lord and give it to Him. 
if there's something in our life that's not right, the Lord doesn't want us to just continue to live with it. And sometimes we just sort of tolerate, you know, certain things in our life. Now, say we have an issue and we, we give it to the Lord, we confess it to the Lord. It doesn't mean that that's not going to come up again. But it means that, you know what, we've begun this process of when God should, and see this, walking in the light is, you know what, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. When we walk with him, it means everything's open. And see, with the Lord, he exposes things to us. The only time that God exposes things to other people that are private in our life is when we're not willing to deal with it. And then it just begins to just sort of show itself. But he wants us to be honest about as the Spirit of God is in our life and he shows us something that he wants to change. You're not gonna, no one's going to get perfect overnight. That doesn't happen. But there's a process that begins where there's an honesty and openness with God, where we're walking in the light when something needs to change, that we're bringing it to him. We're, we're giving it to him. There's recognition, honesty. Uh, the second thing is simply this, not allowing ourselves to be self-deceived. And that's what sin does. Sin is very deceiving. It, it has a way of blinding us if we don't get it out of our lives. That's why he's saying here, you know, if we say that we have no sin, when we do have sin and we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. That's, that's why, in a sense, what we're doing this morning or what we do at all, at, at any time when we read the Bible. You know, God's, you know, God's word is like a, it's, a, it's a light to our path, right? It's a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. When we read the Bible, not just like we are this morning, any time we read the Bible. It has a way of just bringing illumination, shining truth, you know, into our life and into our condition and into our particular experience. But if we don't, if we don't yield to the light, deception takes place. That's why when Jesus said, if the light that be in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? What was he talking about there? He's saying there's no greater, there's no greater darkness than self-deception. The, the devil can't self-deceive us. That's something that we do when we don't allow the truth to come in, to shine into our heart, into our lives. I mean, he can tempt us to sin, and he does that. But if we're not willing to do it, deal with it, then a, a certain degree of self-deception comes in, yes, and even into the life of a believer. And then thirdly, we see here, particularly with verse 9, is that we, we need to confess our moral failures as God reveals them to us. You, you, you don't confess things that you don't know. But as the Lord shows us something that needs to be dealt with. And, and a beautiful, it's a beautiful promise here that if, again, it's if, it's conditional. God doesn't force anybody to confess their sin. But, but if we do, that he is what? Faithful and just that he will forgive our sins and he'll cleanse us. It's an awesome promise, verse 9. It's a powerful promise. But it's predicated upon our part first, right? How can you forgive it if we don't confess it? But if we're willing to, to give it to him, that he'll take that. And he's just. He's, he's faithful to his word. And he will cleanse us. It doesn't matter 
It doesn't matter what. I was talking to somebody about revival yesterday. I think it was John Paranello. And, um, and I was talking and I was reflecting on a, on a Chinese revival that took place around 1903. Uh, through a, through a, a uh, um, preacher named uh, Jonathan Goforth. And as God was moving, that people were lined up to come up to the pulpit for one reason, to confess their sin. They were lined up for six and seven and eight hours. And some of the sins that were confessed were even murder. And we all know, we all know how shameful sin can be. We all know that. We all know that we don't want everybody to know our sins. And the point that, you know, with my conversation with John was, when that's kind of happening, man, you got revival, folks. You got revival when people are confessing all those kinds of things. But we don't have, you don't have to come up here and confess your sin. You can do it in the privacy of your life. And he promises that he's just and faithful. And he'll forgive you. And he'll cleanse you. And he'll give you a new beginning. Isn't that glorious? You can't buy that. You can't buy that. That's awesome. And free. And so gracious. I'm going to close in prayer. There's something that you want to give to the Lord this morning. I'm not talking about money. Talking about our hearts, talking about our lives, talking about our issues. I want you to stand up. It's between, it's between you and God. Between you and Him. We don't need to know. He knows. So, Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, as we get a little glimpse here, Lord, into eternity. Lord, what things you have stored and provided for the child of God. And yet, Father, in one sense, that may be a long way off for some of us. Lord, we have to live in the here and the now. And there are many issues and things, Lord, in our hearts and lives. And we thank you, Lord, you know all things. So, Lord, we, we give them by faith this morning. Give them to you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that you love that when we come to you. When we come, when we humble ourselves. Lord, when we say we need you. Or Lord, we need you to free our lives. We need you to take this issue. Lord, we need your love or we need your forgiveness. And whatever the issue may be this morning, dear Father. Lord, nothing is too hard for thee. The scripture says. You're the God of the impossible. You're the God who can, if need, is needed, Lord, to work that miracle 
Lord, we believe you for that. We believe that you're great and that you're awesome. And we want to thank you this morning for the cross. Lord, we can be forgiven because you went to the cross. You took our punishment. You took our judgment. And you rose from the grave. And Lord, I pray for us and for your people, and particularly for each one that has stood this morning, I pray for your resurrection power to be displayed in their hearts and in their lives. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord. We love you, Father. We love you, Lord Jesus. Lord, we're so thankful, Holy Spirit, that you would come into our lives. And I pray, Father, for anyone this morning that if the Holy Spirit has not come into their life that you would do that now. Or Lord, if just we need a fresh filling, Lord, do that. That we might bring you glory and honor. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.